right, so some things from my story. I got married at 18. I um, got separated at 24. The way that separation went down with Megan dating Jimmy, um, the divorce and leading towards church planting, um, um, the pursuit of church planting being something that, um, I felt like everything was having to be relived and rehashed and confirmed that I had no fault in it before they would give me the go ahead. I felt like it forced it into the shadows. Um, the first time, um, that it was drawn out of the shadows was in a meeting with Carl, uh, sitting at a restaurant over where Bippy Bop is now in Columbia at the mall where he looked at me. Oh, I said to him, Hey, did I ever tell you I was divorced? He said, no, but I'd like to hear it. I told him about it. Um, not even looking at him. Um, definitely with a bit of shame and his response, um, was unexpected. He began punching me in the arm and he said, that is why you plant the church. You can never forget those moments because that is why you plant the church because you know what it is to watch a man walk into your house and take your wife out on a date and knowing you can't do anything to stop it. And the hopelessness of that, that is where the hope of Jesus comes in. And that is what people need to hear from you when they hear you speak. And you don't have to relive it on stage every week, but you best not forget it. That is why you plant a church for broken people to meet Jesus. That's what you put on display. And he's like, I thought you were just trying to plant a cool church. And I don't have any interest in helping you do that. But I want to help you plant a church that's reaching broken people. And he did. And over the next five years, he helped. Anytime I asked, Carl was there. Carl showed up. Carl offered something. And Mosaic did. The staff here took care of us. The staff here encouraged us. The staff here reached out and answered questions, helped me, helped Liz, helped our team with anything that we needed. You guys were bought in and um, helping us reach people. We baptized 19 people in five years. And I know that's nothing close to the numbers here, but we were pumped about every single one of them. We had people come from here and people leave to come here. And I felt like we were fighting for the same thing, not against each other. Fast forward to a phone call to come on staff or a phone call with an offer and with some interest. Uh, I think I need to tell him about me wanting to walk away from ministry. I found like I didn't have what it takes. I wanted to walk away from everything. Literally taking a sabbatical to say, how do I walk away from ministry and not feel ashamed? And I got a phone call from John the next day about two people I look up to in the church where I never thought I could be 
that said, we want you to be part of our team and we want you to help do groups and we want to help. We want you to pastor people in a way that puts brokenness on display and helps them meet Jesus. And there's a part of me that still feels like it's surreal. I had a conversation with a few different friends that week and one of them asked me how I felt about it. And I said, I feel like God is opening a door I never thought would be open to me. Because in my shame, I am the failed church planner, the failed youth pastor, the failed marriage, the failed, 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 failed. But in reality, in Jesus, I am redeemed. And I'm a child of God. And my story has merit. And my embracing of brokenness has been my ministry. And when I talked with Carl a couple weeks after being on staff, John was on sabbatical, and I get this one-on-one. We go to Chipotle. And he has an honest conversation with me that starts with, hey, man, it looks like you've been packing on the LBs. We wanted you to be healthy. How can I help with that? And I love that blunt truth. It is funny, but I love it. And I'm appreciative of it. And it has caused me to lose 12 pounds so far and work to get healthier. But on the way home from that call, sitting in the passenger seat of his car, I said to him, man, there are moments where I just wish I couldn't empathize with people so well. I wish that my story wasn't so relevant. I wish that other men weren't experiencing what I've experienced and that I didn't know exactly how they felt when they tell me what they're going through. And Carl just said, I need you to lean into that. That's part of the reason you're on staff here. Because I need you to put brokenness on display. I need you to help our team and our people and our church bleed a bit more. But here's what I want you to know, Mosaic staff. I am in ministry because you all invested in me when I wasn't a guy that was worth investing in. Or I'm here because you all invested in me when I wasn't a guy that was on your team. There's little moments where people believed me, little moments where John said to me, hey, we're not going to Laurel to plant a church because we know Element has Laurel. There are moments where Mallory and Ange helped Liz not only fundraise, but helped her answer questions about kids and do different things that needed to be done so we could move the ball forward with our kids ministry. There are multiple moments where I walked into Carl's office and was able to sit down and have a conversation and get cared for and be guided and be loved and be pastored. Being able to be on sermon review for three out of four weeks, most months, allowed me to sit under solid biblical teaching in a way that built me up and convinced me that the gospel was worth running after. So just please, please don't forget. That the way you invest in people helps them run after Jesus. Hey guys, my name is Ryan and this is my first night at Mosaic Student. So if you're new here, me too. We're in the middle of a series on relationship called Let's Talk where we surprisingly talk about relationships. But before I dive into that, I feel like I got to tell you a little bit about me so you'll know where I'm coming from. So here's a few things to know. First of all, I'm a Ravens fan. 
It's not negotiable. If you're not, I'll pray for you. If you're a Steelers fan, the door is in the back. Two, Baltimore is the greatest city in the world. It's not even worth arguing about. If you don't believe me, check out this bench. As we all know, benches can't lie. Three, I'm married. And that... uh, and I've got, I'm married. I've got three kids that are three years old and under. It's relevant for two reasons. One, I don't get much sleep. So if I say something stupid, don't worry about it. Just keep going. I'm going to probably stutter a little bit. I'll get choked up a little bit. That's just me. Don't stress about that. But the second thing it means is this. This ring on my finger means I know some things. It means I'm ahead of some of you in life. It means the fact that I've got like a happy marriage and growing kids means I'm doing some things right and I've got some knowledge worth listening to because some of what I'm going to share tonight comes from some of the mountaintop moments that I've had by doing things right. But the next thing I want you to know is this. I'm divorced. It means I've screwed up some things. I have some regrets. I'm not perfect. And some of what I'm going to share tonight, in fact, most of what I'm going to share tonight doesn't come from the mountaintop. It's things that I've learned in the valley. And just a side note, if you're here tonight and you feel like you're in a dark valley just searching for hope, like you're like, I don't need to know about how to find a boy or how to find a girl, or maybe you're a sixth or a seventh or eighth grade and you go, I'm not even interested in that. Tonight is going to be full of hope. And so if you walked in here going, I just need something to get me through this week, tonight's message is going to be for you. So lean in. I'm a Ravens fan. Baltimore's the greatest city. I'm married. I'm divorced. And this last one is key. I love hunting. It started a few years ago as an excuse to get outside more, but I can't get enough of it. Whether it's deer or ducks or turkeys or bear, and hopefully this year I'm going to get to hunt elk. I love hunting. Just so I know, does anybody else in the room hunt? One person. Regardless of if you hunt or not, here's why hunting matters for your relationships. Because out of the animals I've hunted, here's what I found to be true. Ducks just want to be around other ducks like them. Some of you can relate. You're like, I'm just looking for my people. I'm just trying to find my crew. I just want to be around some 11th grade girls because that is me. Bears just want food that's easy to get. Some of you are like me and you're like, preach, where are my Oreos? But when it comes to hunting deer or turkeys or elk, what you need to know as a hunter is that those are animals that when you hunt them, they just want to get some. So when I want to harvest a big buck or I want to get a big turkey, I do my best to think like a female. And no, that doesn't mean I change my mind a bunch. That's a human female thing. I do my best to think like a female animal. I put out a decoy like this, that looks like a female turkey. I spray a scent on a tree if I'm hunting deer that smells like a female deer. And then I use a call to sound like the animal that I'm hunting. So when I'm hunting turkeys, I use a turkey call like this. I put it in my mouth and I make the sound. And if I do it correctly and there's a big male turkey around, this is what I'll hear next. 
And I'll kind of get situated. I'll kind of guess where he's coming from or pick up where which direction the sound is. And I put out this decoy in the right place. And I lean up against a tree in my camouflage. And I get ready. And then I go, I want to sound like she's starting to walk away. I want to speed up his process like he's got to get there quickly before she gets to somebody else. And I'll hear, and then I just wait. I lean up against my tree and I wait to see him. But I really am waiting not to see him. I'm waiting for him to see her. This plastic decoy standing in that field with the sun shining on her in all of her glory looking all kinds of sexy. Because here's what I know. When he sees her, he's going to come running and it's probably going to cost him his life. Here's what I think is true. But the same is true for you. As a middle schooler and as a high schooler and as a volunteer and as a human, if you're not careful and if you don't prepare for the predator around you, the lies you believe about sex will cost you your life. You might be thinking, I don't have a predator. I'm a human. Nobody's hunting me. But Peter, who was really close to Jesus, when he writes a letter to a church, he warns us and he warns them. He says, listen, the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. See, because the whole time, think about this for a second. The whole time I'm putting out decoys or making noises with a call, I'm just lying to the turkey. I'm playing on his emotions. I'm taking advantage of his urges. I'm leveraging what was given to him as a good thing, as the very thing that's going to cost him everything. I'm doing my best to outwit him. And a very real truth you need to understand is that Satan is doing his best to outwit you. When I'm in the woods or when hunters are in the woods, the animal that is in the most danger is the one unaware of his predator. And I believe the same is true tonight. The student or the volunteer in the most danger in the room tonight for shame, regret, pain, and guilt that you can't get past is the one unaware of his predator. The Bible also, when he talks about Satan, God tells us that Satan is the father of lies. But that Jesus, on the other hand, when Jesus speaks, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And then he tells us about that idea of truth. He says, the truth, if you will lean into it, if you will believe it, if you will follow it, the truth has the power to set you free. And here's what I want for you tonight. I want you over the next five years of middle school and high school, over the next three years of middle school and high school, over the the next six months as you finish up this year and you get ready to go to college, I want you to not be tricked by the lies of Satan, but to experience the freedom of what it means to follow the truth that we have in Christ. And a lie that I believed for most of my life is that the best way to combat lies from Satan, the best way to avoid believing what Satan has to say is just to not think about it. So if I got some urges with a girlfriend, just don't think about it. If I got some relational tension with some some of my boys, just don't think about it. Just avoid it. Just sweep it under the rug. Just hope it goes away and just hope to get beyond it one day. Hope that my feeling changes. But here's what I found to be true. 
The lies you believe will cost you everything if you don't address them. And the only way to address the lies of your mind and of your heart and of your soul are to get into scripture and to begin addressing them with the truth of God's word. The only thing you have that will combat the lies of Satan is the truth from Jesus. So tonight, over the next few minutes, I want to give you five lies I've believed for most of my life when it comes to dating, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to friendships. I want to give you five lies that I've believed that had the potential to cost me everything. And then I also want to take a minute tonight and give you the truth that you can begin to use to combat them. Because I'm convinced of this. Even though I don't know you, even though there's only a few students in the room that I could look at, point at, and and call out their name, I'm convinced that many of you have the potential to believe some of the same lies that I've believed. And if that's you, I want to give you a truth that's going to overcome it. Because I believe if you'll lean into that, you have the potential to change the course of your life from something that costs you everything to something that allows you to experience freedom and grace and amazing, amazing things. So let's jump in. The first lie I believed is this. Talking about faith in my friendships and dating relationships would just be awkward. Talking about faith with my friends and the person I date would just be awkward. See, I grew up around church. We started going to church when I was six. And there was multiple times when I started dating. There was multiple times when I was hanging out with my boys, when we were just chilling, when we were just riding somewhere, when we were just doing something, that something sparked in me like this is about to go to a bad place. Or something that sparked in me, it's like, man, the pastor was preaching on a sermon that actually stuck with me. Jack talked about something last week that stuck with me. And I'd love to talk to my boys about that. I'd love to have a conversation about that. I'd love to know if they felt the same way or if I'm missing something or if I'm nuts. But I refused to bring it up. Because I was convinced of a lie. That if I had a conversation about faith, it would just be awkward. But here's the truth. Faith conversations should be a regular rhythm of your relationship. See, God, when he brings the Israelites, if you're not familiar with this, like uh, God says his chosen people are the Israelites and like they were the people um, that we see in, in the beginning of the Old Testament that kind of like we get in the beginning of the Bible. He brings them out of slavery in a book called Exodus, which literally means to exit because they were exiting um, Egypt where they had been enslaved for over 400 years. And I just want you to think about that for a second. When a group of people has been enslaved for over 400 years, they had nobody who's still alive has experienced freedom. So everybody who's walking around, adult, child, teenager, doesn't matter, has never experienced freedom. Instead, what they've done is do what they were told. They had no freedom to make choices. They had... No real thing to do except do what they were told. So it was like, go mow that grass. Yes, sir. Go build that wall. Yes, sir. Go make those bricks. Yes, sir. Go make my dinner. Yes, sir. 
Some of you are like, this sounds like my house. And maybe it is. But now you got some freedom because you're here tonight. And you have the ability to make some decisions for yourself. And when God was setting up things for them, he's saying, hey, listen, I want to prepare you for the freedom you're going to experience. I want to give you some guardrails around that kind of freedom because I don't want this pendulum to swing to where you go from I've been enslaved to I'm just trying everything because that's not healthy. He says, I want what's best for you, which is not over here in slavery, but it's not over here in just experimenting with everything. So what he tells the people to do, what he writes for them in the book of Deuteronomy is this. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 through 9 says this. He tells them this. He says, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. And here's what he tells them to do to hold on to these commands. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them as a reminder on your foreheads. Write them on your doorpost of your house and on your gates. In other words, faith conversations, the things that God is teaching us, the things we read in his word should be a regular conversation as we interact with our friends. And especially as we interact with the person we date. Hold on to those faith conversations. Lie number two. Resisting temptation when it comes to physical stuff. Resisting temptation has no real value. See, I knew that when I was dating, I wanted to do stuff physically. And I knew what the Bible said that I wasn't supposed to. And I knew what my youth leader said that I shouldn't go do it. And I knew that I really shouldn't put myself in a girl's bedroom with no parents at home and pretend that I was going to be able to be okay in that situation. But the reality is I wanted to do stuff. And what I convince myself of is that resisting temptation, saying no in a moment, put myself in a healthier position, asking a friend to be around, creating some accountability, all those things not only would be awkward, but all those things were actually not that big of a deal. Because the only value that I believe there was to resisting temptation was resisting temptation. And I'm like, that's not that big of a deal. I'll be fine on the other side of this. But here's what I want you to know. But see, the Apostle Paul would think about it a little bit differently. Paul, when he writes the book of Galatians, he writes to a group of people who have been chasing some of the wrong things. And he says, look, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I had before, anyone living like that will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he says this. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and then this last one, self-control. 
See, the lie I believed is that resisting temptation had no real value, but the truth, according to God's word, is that self-control is worth pursuing. Self-control is worth sacrificing for. See, he calls them fruits because there's things that are going to be planted in us that ultimately have to grow, that have to be cultivated. And what I would tell you is that one of the best ways to cultivate the fruit of self-control in your life is to resist temptation and create accountability in your relationships. One of the best ways to cultivate and grow the fruit of self-control in your life is to resist temptation and create accountability in your relationships. The third lie I believed was this. If I can find the right person, I don't need anybody else. And this one was simple. If I dated a girl that people liked, I just cut those people out. If I dated a girl that people didn't want to be around, I just cut those people out. If I dated a girl, I didn't really worry about my my relationships. And I know the phrase that bros are supposed to become before girls, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. But the reality is... When I was in that relationship, I didn't worry about where my boys were. I just ran. Because she could do something for me that they couldn't. And while that might be true, it doesn't mean it's healthy. The truth is, is that no matter how good your dating relationship is, you need healthy friendships. No matter how good your dating relationship is, you need healthy friendships. And there's a lot of verses I could go to on friendship. I'm the groups guy here at Mosaic. I got a lot of things about relationships and why healthy friendships matter and why you need to find your crew. And we could get into all that. But I'll just use one verse out of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews says this. He says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm because God can be trusted to keep his promise. And then he says this. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good deeds. And let us not neglect meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of Christ's return is drawing near. The reality is, if you isolate yourself in relationships, it will not work. Because there will be moments when you fight. There will be moments when you argue. And if the stats are right, and I'm sure that they are, your relationship is not going to last. See, the divorce that I have came from a girl that I dated in high school. I knew her since I was six. I dated her since I was 17. I got married at 18. And six years later, when the crap began to hit the fan in our marriage, I had very few people to turn to because I was trying to to fill the voids in my life with the lack of relationship through my marriage and through my dating relationship. But when things went wrong, I didn't have anybody or anywhere to turn. And it's not just about What if things go wrong? It's about even in the moments where things go right. I'll say this. In my marriage now, on a regular basis, on a routine basis, 
I have time with guys who are friends of mine, who love Jesus, who love my wife and want what's best for me, but they know what's best for me and my wife knows what's best for me and I know what's best for me sometimes is to get out of the house and to get away from her and to be in a healthy relationship with some guys where I can talk about I'm tired of parenting, where I can talk about Kim and I are having some issues where I can talk about some of the tensions that I'm feeling or some of the temptations that I have or some of the lies that I might be believing. And we call each other on it. We motivate each other to love and to good deeds. And you need that. So let me just review in case you missed it. Faith conversations should be a regular rhythm of your relationships. Truth number two, the discipline of self-control is worth pursuing. And truth number three, no matter how good your dating relationship is, you need healthy friendships. Lie number four, if I'm in a relationship, I'll feel whole as a person. Or maybe it's better this way. Some of you will get it if I say it like this. If I'm not in a relationship, it must mean I'm empty and lonely. If I'm not in a relationship, it must mean I'm empty and lonely. One of my wife's friends who she's close to, the lady was a, the maid of honor in our wedding. Her name is Steph. Steph's 26 years old. She's graduated college. She's working in a good job, making great money. Um, Just moved back in with her parents, but that was more related to COVID than a lack of being able to provide. And she's got nearly everything. But if you ask Steph what stresses her out the most, she would say the fact that she doesn't have anybody to share it with. And when she says that, she's not talking about I don't have friends because she's got my wife. She's got multiple people that she can call in a time of need. She's got family she can lean on. She's got people she can hang on to. But she doesn't feel like she has anybody that she can love or maybe more so anybody that loves her. And when Valentine's Day came just a couple weeks ago, texts were coming through. I just feel sick inside. I hate this day with everything that I am because it reminds me of how lonely I am. There's some of you that are like, I sent that text this week. I sent that text to somebody. I hooked up with somebody so I didn't feel that way. And you're like, it's not that big of a deal. I'm 15. That's how I feel. But here's what I want you to know. If you don't deal with it now, if you don't begin to address it with truth now, that lie has the potential to ruin your life, not just at 15 or 16, but 26, 36, 46, 56, 66, 76, 86, however long you live, that lie will wreck you. Because here's the truth that matters. You can't fill a God-sized hole with a human relationship. Your dating relationship will not replace God. I'm really not sure what verse to use for this. Two came to mind. Exodus 20, talking about idolatry. I could transition and talk a little bit about how we make relationships an idol. How we... um, uh, 
we take a relationship with a Christian that is meant to be a good thing and we make it like the thing and we begin to worship the thing that God gave us instead of the one who actually gave it to us. And that's just the connection into Romans 1, which says this in Romans 1, 21 to 25. It says they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. They began to make up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they became other fools. And then he says this. Instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals. So the, uh, I think I could just lean into this verse. They, uh, God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their heart desired. And as a result, they did vile and disregarding things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God. This is the verse I could lean into. They traded the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. See, I think some of us in here tonight, when we look at our relationships, and it could even be a marriage. It could be a dating relationship. It could be the relationship you want to be in but can't seem to get in. And it's a good thing. Like God says, marriage is good. Relationships are good. Dating is fine. Like there is not a bunch of verses against those things. My goal tonight is not to say don't be with anybody. No, we're meant to do life in community. But we're not meant to make community the God of our life. God gave us community to help us get closer to him, not so it would separate us from him. And some of us are allowing community to be the thing that we worship instead of the God of the universe who gave us that community. Human relationships don't replace God. Which leads us into our last one. And this one's specifically for people who have messed up or are messing around or are hoping to. The lie I believed here is that messing around and having sex was better than dealing with my crap and being vulnerable. Messing around and having sex was better than being real. Guys, there were a lot of moments. Some where I thought I should have a faith conversation, but it would just be awkward. Some where I knew I was doing something that wasn't right, but I didn't really want to dive into why. Some where I just chased things that weren't what was best for me. Because it felt good. And I went to a high school that created a really stupid lie, in my opinion, that they said, if you have sex before married, it won't feel good. And I'm literally sitting in the classroom thinking, I just had sex yesterday. You're wrong. So I'm not here to tell you that sex or messing around or that stuff doesn't feel good. What I am here to tell you is it doesn't solve the loneliness and the lack of communication that you have. It doesn't solve the loneliness and the emptiness in your soul. Because here's the truth you need to hold on to. And this one applies to everybody. Temporary pleasure, however you get it. Temporary pleasure does not fix permanent pain. See, what we learn when we read the Bible is that our problem is not loneliness or emptiness or a lack of communication or a lack of vulnerability. Our problem is this thing called sin. 
Meaning there was times in our life where we chose to believe the lies of our mind over the God of the universe. And we just acted on them. We ran our own direction, our own path, our own way. And we said, God, we're going to put you on the back burner for a minute. And we're going to do what we want to do. And we chased it. And it's left us with regret and shame and pain and things that we can't get past. And here's the reality. More pleasure will not fix permanent pain. The only thing that will fix that is the gospel. The only thing that will fix that is beginning to submit ourselves to Jesus because he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody gets to God. Nobody experiences wholeness. Nobody begins to actually overcome the things they deal with without me. And so tonight, whatever it was that got you here, for whatever reason you walked in the door, for whatever lie maybe you've believed about sex and about relationships, I want you to hear this above everything else. If you haven't made the decision to follow Jesus, if you've been on the fence with this whole God thing, let tonight be the night where you say, God, I'm going to give you a chance. I'm not just going to show up in, in like, I'm not just going to physically show up, but I'm going to mentally and emotionally show up. I want to bring my whole self to you and let you begin to work through the lies of my soul and begin to redeem them with your truth. Because God, you're the only one who can do that. See, the death that we've experienced, the Bible, Romans 6, tells us that the The wages, what we earn for our sin is death. It separates us from God forever. But the gift of God is eternal life for those who believe. So I want to invite you to something tonight. If you've been hearing about God, thinking about God, talking about God, let tonight be the night that you say, I actually want to be in a relationship with God. I want to be connected to Him. And instead of Pursuing what I think is best, I'm going to begin to pursue what he thinks is best. And let tonight be the night that you recognize Jesus as your Lord, like the leader of your life, and your Savior that takes away the penalty of your sin. Because that has the power to change everything. Something on checking the baptism box. I'll go from there.